Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Hope you are having a good week. KJ, how goes it? It goes well, other than the heat and the humidity, or the humidity and the heat. Which one comes first? I'm going to say the humidity, because I felt that as soon as I opened my garage door this morning to go out for a morning walk, it was the, the I was walking into the oven. So we've officially reached summer in Tallahassee. And I've never seen so many windows fogged up and not be February. Because of the humidity. Yes. We've uh, had a good show as always. It's, uh, it's supposed to fall snow this. Now we're recording on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, Jordan Travis and Trey Benson are going to meet the media. And if you're trotting out your, your Heisman candidate quarterback and your top running back, Keith, that must mean that, that football will soon be in the air. Uh, there will be more than one or two people there to attend that interview and I try to ask questions. Yes. <laughs> we'll chat about those two and uh in a way it's thirsty it's a little premature to have that conversation because they have a full year left but bob frante will join us in the next segment we'll also talk fsu baseball as the Knowles have formally announced uh, mike aposi as their pitching coach that news has been out for a little bit while but uh, we'll, we'll discuss fsu baseball and where that stands did you watch the the college baseball world series kj I watched the last part of game two when Florida was running away with it. And then I watched the entire game, uh, third game, uh, championship game. And uh, boy, talk about pendulums swinging one way or the other. Uh, I imagine the Block household was uh, uh, quite uh, pleased with the ultimate outcome. I'll just volunteer that. Yeah, yeah. My wife was very pleased. LSU doing the Lord's work for us all there and taking care of business. Yeah, it was it was going to go one of two ways in game three, right? After they got embarrassed in game two, LSU was, I mean, either Florida was going to continue that momentum or more likely I felt like LSU was going to come out mad and play well. And that's what they did. And uh, it, it's, it, it was a good series all around, not just the, the final series. It, it's hard to, to watch teams compete at that level when FSU is not at that level right now, but, but I do trust that they will get back to that level where they're going to Omaha and have a chance to, to get to that, uh, that land that they've never reached before that ground they've never covered. Uh, I'm sure any of our listeners that actually saw the ball games, watched the ball games or read about them. Uh, I'm going to give you a statistic that maybe most are aware of, but you know, since 2017, there's been five different SEC national champions, if I, if I read that correctly and understood that correctly. 
Um, and again, we talk about dominance uh, on the gridiron, but certainly at recent times, just like USC and Arizona and Arizona State of 20 and 30 years ago on the diamond, um, you know, the SEC programs have performed well, very well. Yeah, that is obvious, and uh, it's an SEC world, and we're all living in it. Not not quite in it. Maybe someday Florida State will actually be in it, but we're not going to talk uh, realignment at this very moment. We are going to take a break. We'll come back, get Bob Frante on the horn. We'll talk some Florida State football. Stay with us. We are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Bob Ferranti, our Osceola Insider, joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Bob, it's good to see you. And uh, I'm excited because uh, on, on Wednesday morning, Jordan Travis and Trey Benson met the media, which means we're talking football. And I want to I start there. And uh, Keith, Keith, jump in on this. Uh, Jordan Travis, as we, as we get set for what's his sixth year of college football, where do you guys put him on the list of Florida State quarterbacks at this point, given his playing time, his stats, his one-loss record, his whole body of work? Wow, that's a really good one, right? Um, you know, I think I think you have to appreciate his growth and maturity, how far he's come, first of all, as a, as a passer, um, how he's built confidence. He didn't, I think, arrive here as an accomplished guy who, who felt really good about himself what he could do on the field um, always a charismatic guy always somebody who was extremely competitive but I, I don't think he had that true confidence in what he could do now if he leaves here I think the questions always are with a quarterback put your team in a position to win the game don't lose them through bad mistakes turnovers etc so it's not about wins and losses to me, but it is about what you can do in terms of leading your offense, leading your team down the field. And I think 2022, uh, some of the things that he did in 21, obviously fourth and 14 against Miami and, and some of those other you know moments going all the way back to Boston College. Um, just a lot of really, really good memories. Shoot, is he top five in Florida State history after the Heisman winners? Is he up there behind a Casey Weldon, a Danny McManus? A, you know, we, we can put so many different names up there, but I just, I think you have to appreciate just how far Jordan Travis has come through all these years. I think that's the biggest takeaway. And then the sub part of that, the one B of that is he's probably outside of the top 10 right now, but 2023 provides him an opportunity to move inside the top 10. Uh, I don't think he's top five. If he wins the Heisman Trophy and FSU goes undefeated and wins a national championship, then he'll be right up there with the other boys. Uh, and uh, I think technically the first one uh, without a last name that starts with a W. Um, but he's outside of the top 10 looking in with an unbelievable opportunity to break in to that top 10, in my opinion. Well, Keith, let me share some numbers that might sway you a little bit more. This is... Uh, maybe it's not surprising because he's been starting since 2020, right? So he will have played a lot. I mean, when you look at the all-time records, Chris Ricks and Drew Weatherford are up there because they started several seasons. Uh, if we just assume now, and who knows how it'll play out, he'll have to stay healthy. 
you could make the argument that because the receiving core and the offense are going to be better that he put up bigger numbers this year or you could argue that because they have more weapons and they're going to have a better running game and offensive line that his numbers will not be uh, as prolific as what they were last year either rushing or passing I, I don't know but just for the sake of this conversation if he puts up the same numbers this year that he did in 2022 which will be 2,700 yards passing plus or minus he will finish second in Florida State history in career passing yards behind only Chris Winkie. If he throws the same number of touchdown passes, 24, he'll finish second in FSU history behind only Chris Winkie. If he completes the same amount of passes, it gets him to third all-time in FSU history. He's already the leading rusher of a quarterback in Florida State history, and he's got a chance to finish in the top 15 in career rushing touchdowns at FSU. So it's a little – now, the one-loss record is not there, but I think – and I didn't do this, this wouldn't be percentage, but overall wins, if FSU gets 10 or 11 wins this year, I think he'll be the second winningest quarterback in FSU history behind only Chris Winkie, even if he doesn't win the Heisman, which we can all agree that winning the Heisman, you got to have a lot of things go your way. He's in the conversation. I don't know that he's going to win it. So does that sway you at all, KJ, to think about those numbers? No. How come? This is a, this is a preformed radio show, Keith, so feel free to expound. There's no way he moves ahead of Winky Ward and Winston in my mind. And then I start looking at the others. As Bob mentioned, um, you know, I'm sorry, Tommy, you, you don't get automatic. Now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I may change my mind after I see what's followed. Uh, I, I read an article over the weekend when they were doing the Rushmore of, uh, receivers at Florida State with one of our other groups out there and they didn't even mention Ron Sellers and see that's what happens people go with what's the immediacy and they don't appreciate what's taking place 10 and 20 and 40 years ago so in answer to your question no he can move up to number six he can move up to number seven he's not going to be number two I think the other factors are these are evolving discussions through the years. Like I remember writing about Christian Ponder right around his, his final game and saying, I, you know, I thought Christian was one of the top five Florida State quarterbacks, you know, at that point toward the end of his career. But then, of course, you still got EJ and Jameis and guys who came after him. Um, some of the other factors that just don't get calculated in um, the bowl stats from before 2002 are not included in a lot of these quarterbacks, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, their stats, these aren't apples to oranges comparisons, unless you start factoring in bowl games. And a lot of guys through the years had incredible bowl games in Florida State's history. So when you start looking at numbers, that's where I think you get some disparity. But, but again, to me with Jordan, it's just, it, it's honestly incredible because I remember his first spring Jordan, you know, jokingly was a basketball player. He was bounce passing to receivers. He was <laughs> not a very good quarterback as a passer his first spring when he showed up on Florida State's campus. And, and now a lot of people are saying this guy might be a Heisman candidate, a Heisman preseason type of quarterback. So it, it is really phenomenal how far he's come. Well, we can easily draw a line between the three that won Heisman's because they also won national championships. So if he does neither of those, those are going to be the top three, right? KJ, who do you have? If he just has a, a good, a really good year, like last year and FSU goes 11 and two, and those statistics play out the way they 
would compute based on on my rudimentary math, right? Who would you have ahead of him if still not counting the Heisman winners at four, five, and six? Uh, Casey would be up there. Uh, Gary Huff would be up there. People forget about what Huff did during his time here. Uh, so I might have him at six. Yeah, Casey was he finished second for the Heisman. He would right. He, he would. He, that's completely uh, plausible too. Bob, what do you think? What about for you? Yeah, Casey Weldon comes to mind. Danny McManus, I think, in, in some regards, wouldn't be super high on the list. But again, I think he helped elevate that program into that 87 season where it started, you know, the run, the 14-year run of the top four finishes. Um, honestly, I I was in school here when, when Danny Cannell was a quarterback for, for a while. I think Dan, the knock on Danny was he's not Charlie Ward. Um, but Danny was pretty darn good, and, and he he won a lot of games. He put Florida State in position to to win games, and the most famous tie, arguably in in college football history, honestly, that thirty one to thirty one. So, I, I think there are some guys who you you might just have a, a fond memory of through the history of Florida State through the decades, and you might say they're they're just a little bit ahead of Jordan Travis. Clearly a conversation better suited for after this year plays out. It's just uh, amazing when you look at the numbers at what his body of work could ultimately be given where he started. All right. So what about, what about Trey Benson who people, a he's uh, when, when you talk to Trey, he's got a very likable personality. He's, of course, he's got a terrific story in that he overcame a horrific knee injury and I'm not sure what, if he was going to rank himself close to 100%, maybe no football players 100% when you're a couple of years into college. But I think there's legitimate credence to the thought that he, he wasn't 100% healthy last year, and he may be a little bit better, more explosive this year. Um, he, he's got to put together another solid year, but, but, but how does he stack up? And, and I'm not suggesting that he's at the Dalvin or the Dunn level right now, but, but what do you think in terms of what he could be or what he's been so far? Yeah, I think it's a it's another really really cool story of just how far you you come through per perseverance. And honestly, I kind of thought Trey Benson would would go on to the NFL because that um, that wear and tear on the tires, so to speak, is is tough for running backs. But I think it's it's very much a positive part of NIL. There's there's a reason, you know, why he's coming back. In part, I think he likes Florida State and wants to go for an ACC title and, and something bigger and and, and leave a leave a mark on Florida State I think NIL helps to to retain some of your best most productive players that that's a positive storyline there I don't know where I would put Trey among all the running backs just because there's almost too many I mean going back through the years uh, you know the Dexter Carters and and, and Ampley's and gosh Greg Jones I, I mean Greg Allen, we, we could sit here for 10 minutes and just naming off all the great running backs we've seen at Florida State. So I, I don't know if I put Trey in that that top 10 company, but I do think we've rooted for for running backs who have come back from, from a major injury. Chris Thompson, literally twice from, I think, a back and a knee injury back in his day. So I, I think he's he's a fan favorite, a guy that this this fan base has really, really embraced for uh, for how we put that injury behind him. And what he's done on the field. Tommy, I would again put him in a similar place as, as I would Travis. He's he's you know outside of the top 10 with an opportunity to be part of the top 10. You know, the one thing he does need, and I think he'll get it, is either that one play or that one game 
where he kind of separates himself. We all remember Dunn's freshman catch from Charlie against Florida in 93. Uh, we remember, what was it, 212 yards that Greg Jones had in a ball game. Um, you know, something that will just, you know, make him stand out in people's minds. Uh, but he, much like Travis, great story, perseverance, buying into the program, team player, uh, a teammate, uh, all the things that you would talk about um, off the field as well as the numbers on the field. To me, yeah, I agree with, with what you just said, Keith, in terms of where you put him. He's, he's got to – so he – the couple things that stand out last year, that explosive kick return he had against Boston College, and then he was running like a man among boys against Florida. But if you look at the start and the finish of the season when the offensive line was not winning the battle at the, at the line of scrimmage against LSU or Oklahoma – Trey couldn't get on track. It's like he's stuck in mud. Once he gets going, then it's tough to bring him down. But if you can get him around the legs in the backfielder's line of scrimmage, he hasn't. And, and that's why I wonder if he's going to be a little more explosive this year. Uh, obviously, the line should be better. So maybe that won't be as germane to the conversation. But, Bob, what do you think? Am I describing that accurately in terms of what he's been able to bring to the table? Because Trayshawn Ward was key last year as a changeup, you know, when in those situations. It, it almost seemed like there was a direct line, too, between where, you know, Treshawn Ward had that injury, can't remember if it was arm or elbow, what, up at NC State. And then maybe right after that, Trey Benson became the guy who was getting more and more carries. You know, you just saw he was he was imposing that physicality on, on defenses, and, and his second half was, was pretty good against some really good run defenses, like you mentioned there. Um, I... I don't know, you know, Jerry has often said that that Trey reminds him a little bit of Sammy Smith. There, there is that speed, there is that physicality. Um, there's a little bit of Greg Jones maybe there too. And just he's he's willing to try to run through you too. Um, he, he's definitely a fun running back to watch. I think that's that's what we enjoy. We we've seen so many different running backs through the years, and and but this is a guy who I think relishes contact. It'd be cool to maybe see what his yards after initial contact were, were I think on a, on a game by game basis, ESPN and some other folks, you know, pro football focus track those numbers, but I think his yards after initial contact would be an impressive number to see what, what Trey Benson's really accomplished each game last year and, and what he could do this coming fall. Yeah, it's, I'm starting to get excited for it. Uh, I've been slowly trying to stifle that a little bit, but now that they're trotting him out to the media and we're talking about summer works at workouts, it feels feels tangible and close Bob just in a in the final minute or two here uh is next week going to be a big week for FSU on the recruiting front feels like a lot of these kids that were just in in the back half of June are setting up their announcement dates for all over the map in the first couple weeks of July yeah a bunch of guys I I don't know if this is coordinated or not but but a lot of guys want to announce on July 4th and and a couple guys will announce on July 1st so we'll see how that plays out but but Luke Cromenhawk Camden Fryer both alluded to it on Sunday when we talked to them that, you know, they spent a lot of time here as commitments um, on their official visits. Yes, but they wanted to recruit and, and talk to prospects and sell them on on why, why Florida State, why to join them. And you know, we, we've hit on this through the years. This is what's great when you're you're just not a coach recruiting. You've got your commitments recruiting for you. So. Yeah, we could see a, a James Madison, a four-star receiver, who's down to Florida State in Missouri. He could be one guy. Uh, it's already a pretty impressive receiver class uh, so far on paper with the commitments. But um, 
a lot of decisions and, and things will be shaped up uh, potentially in a week or so here. Not to beat that dead horse, fellas, but another reason why plus or minus August 1st would be a good signing date. You want to revisit that one right now? No. I said not to beat the dead horse. <laughs> I, I, I actually feel like the pendulum is starting to shift, that we were better, we'd be better off going right back to where it was and just doing it in February. But it depends on whether you're talking to the coaches who are tired of the all-year-long recruiting cycle or for the benefit of the players who could get it out of the way before their senior year and not have to worry about it. Bob, we'll let you get uh, about your business. We won't belabor this one right now. We'll save that maybe for mid-July when we're, when we're struggling and waiting for camp to start. Appreciate it as always, sir. All right. Take care, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We continue now, and uh, as promised, we're going to talk some Florida State baseball, and uh, we're really pleased to bring to the show the uh, new pitching coach for Florida State, a familiar name for folks who are from uh, these parts. Mike Posey is is back in Tallahassee, and uh, that, that's the starting point for this conversation as we reopen that Earl Bacon Agency hot, hotline. Micah, how uh, surreal, maybe, I don't know if that's an accurate word or not, but uh, how does it feel to, to now be on the coaching staff of a team you grew up following right here in Tallahassee? Yeah, I mean, very, very surreal. I think that's a pretty fair word. Um, you know, growing up, I said earlier today, growing up, you know, this was kind of like Disney World to me. You know, this was the mythical, magical thing. And, you know, this was the hometown team and, you know, almost unobtainable, you know, you feel like. And, you know, now I'm kind of in this role and I'm excited. And, you know, definitely people throw around around the world, we're a dream job. But people that know me know that, like, this is a pretty special opportunity and I can't wait to get work and excited. Micah, tell us about the uh, conversation with your dad when you informed him you had been offered and you had accepted. What was that conversation like? Yeah, uh, we, you know, con- the, the conversation was kind of ramping up with Link a little bit, and I could tell it was kind of escalating. And um, I just told my dad that, you know, we were – I was kind of in the mix, but we were just more so talking. I tried to downplay it as much as possible, mainly, mainly for my mom. Uh, I didn't want to break her heart or anything like that. So, yeah, he was really excited. And, um, obviously, we've shared some father-son moments at the ballpark here. And, um, you know, just a chance to get us back home. I, you know, he's really excited. But also, you know, to wear the garden and gold, he was he was thrilled as well. So, I heard your comment earlier today that, uh, you know, it's been a while since you've worn the garnet and gold because your allegiance goes with with who your employer is and you've been at different institutions. But you put the garnet and gold back on and it felt like you were tailgating again, I think is what you said. So uh, I'm guessing that means not <laughs> did you grow up in the, in the shadows of FSU, but you did grow up an FSU fan. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Bobby Bowden was, you know, a childhood hero. You know, um, you know Marvin Jones was my guy you know, the visor and, and the, you know, the way he hit guys, I, I just was drawn to that as a young kid. And um, obviously there's some special teams come through here. And then, you know, I remember Nick Stocks, you know, when I was in high school or, you know, he was a guy that I used to study and watch it quite a bit. And so, um, you know, JD drew all these guys that came through the program. And so, yeah, so, um, but yeah, that's my pet peeve. I hate when people wear other schools stuff and I've got some Florida State gear um, for Christmas over the last few years and I've just never worn it and 
so today, you know, I put it on. I'm like, man, am I, you know, am I going tailgate? And it was kind of like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Did you grow up um, going to the Mike Martin camp? Or what's your first Florida State memory, whether it's baseball or other? Yeah, I went to a Mike Martin camp, and I remember Alan Swindle did the pitching, and you know I, I still remember the day the glove side camera and taking a picture of the pit, the hitter, and then taking a picture of yourself. And um, yeah, I, I came to these camps, and then I came to a prospect camp when I was older to be recruited. And so yeah, I mean I grew up around this, and yeah, I was definitely involved. And yeah, I remember when the camp was over at um, you know Mester Park, and yeah, so yeah, I definitely grew up around this. Well, I could take us back to when uh, you were graduating high school and, and the considerations and thoughts you had between college and, uh, and going into the major leagues, into the minor league system. Uh, how difficult of a decision was that for you? Yeah, I mean, it was very hard at the time. Um, you know, I was a late bloomer. I would be what you call a late bloomer. Um, you know, my velocity didn't come on until probably my senior year. Um, so I was kind of a late bloomer. And you know, I felt like Tallahassee Community College gave me the best opportunity to pitch and get innings right away. I didn't feel like I was quite ready for Florida State. And so, yeah, I did that. And then, you know, the pro side comes into play and, um, you know, the, the chance to play pro ball. And, you know, I was a young kid. And I think if I could have done all over again, I would have probably rethought that. But at the time, you know, this, these were the kind of the options. And so, yeah. So, but, um, yeah. I'm not going to remember the years, but I ran into John Bentley not too long ago, and I know he's from North Florida, Chris. And were you, were you teammates with him, or were the ages way off? But certainly, you know him, I'm sure, since he played for your I dad. Was, John Bentley played for my dad in '95. Um, that was the first state championship that NFC baseball had ever won. John was very instrumental in that. He was, you know, him and Matt Mayo were the one and two pitchers, and I was the bat boy. Believe it or not, I was in sixth grade. Um, and I idolized John Bentley and Matt Mayo. Those were, that was my first like real look at what a pitcher should be. And so, yeah, John Bentley was like a childhood hero to me. And continuing that theme of relationships, uh, coach, when, when did you meet Link and, and tell us about your relationship with him? Yeah, I was like telling guys earlier, I've known Link. Um, I wouldn't say we were like real good friends, but, you know, we've known each other for a long time. Um, obviously, him going to Florida High. I used to play wiffle ball back on Chapel Drive, where his parents lived with his little brother. Um, you know, he he came out a couple times. We play wiffle ball at my buddy's house, and so and then Babe Ruth, um, Link would come out. Him and I remember Scooby Morgan and a couple other guys came out, and they would work. You know, the prep boot camp, whatever. And I was a player at that time, and then we competed against each other the last four or five years. Um, you know until he went to Notre Dame, we had competed against each other. And then when I saw him on the road, we would always have some small talk and um, yeah. So I'm very familiar with him. And I think, you know, probably more familiar with him than he is with me um, from a, from a younger age. Well, I know you got to hit the ground running as you guys work to return Florida state to, to what it's been uh, historically, I, I guess from a, from, well, first of all, it, it helps that you you know Tallahassee and you probably have a place to stay as you're trying to find permanent housing here, right? But, you know, once once right. you take the job or, or once you accepted the job, is the first thing you're doing looking at the roster? Does Link give you a, a hey, we've got, you know, five righties and four lefties and this is what we need? I mean, how do you assess that and, and, and gain a grasp and understanding of exactly what the needs are given the short time frame you're working with right now? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Link's done a really good job. You know, him and his and Rich and uh, Chuck, they had done a really good job getting out in front of this. And so I feel like, you know, we're really boiling down to like a couple arms. You know, we're not really in a huge need for, you know, six, seven, eight arms. Um, they've done a pretty good job in the portal and getting some good pieces in here. And so now we're kind of, you know, just trying to be picky and trying to get the right one or two guys in here. And, you know, a lot of that will depend on kind of what we feel like some holes are within the, the, the guys we have and, and try to fill those best we can. But, you know, coming in it's not like last summer when those guys came in it's probably a little different feel for linking these guys they were they were probably trying to put together a team with the portal and, and, and transfers and stuff like that so this year they've done a really good job stabilizing the roster and now we're just kind of trying to find the right piece or two to, to complete it like how much tape have you uh, seen of the guys are you are you starting from scratch and you just want to see them live what's going to be your approach uh, for those that are coming back yeah, I've dug into some of the metrics on some of the guys and just had the movement profiles of the pitches. I've watched a little bit of video on Synergy and, and seen kind of some of the, the footage. And, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot to take in with a lot of different guys. But for me, you know, the biggest thing I want to do is see it in person and give everybody a fresh slate. You know, some of these guys were, you know, thrusted into the spotlight for the first time. It was their first full go at it. And some of them, you know, are maybe returners and, you know, maybe it was just an off year. So, um, but yeah, there's some good pieces here. I think, you know, the draft will have a, a great impact on, on, you know, us one way or the other, and ho hopefully we can end up on the right side of that thing. But yeah, the main thing is just kind of looking at video and just try to familiarize yourself with just little things and, and then try not to speak too fast. You know, when we get in the fall, there'll be some urgency to get some guys better and, and coach them up and, and those things, but also, um, there's going to be a little learning. We got to learn each other and, you know, you can't rush some things. So, um, it's going to be a little touch and go there for a little bit, but, you know, that's kind of the art of it, and that's kind of what I look forward to. I know as you guys build this program up, you can't go from the, the, the first floor to the fourth floor without stopping at the second floor and third floor along the way, right? But I'm, I'm curious, when you watched this year's College World Series and you watched Florida and LSU in that series, uh, where is Florida State in relation to that in, in, in your mind? And I know you need to get a better handle on it, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes fans can look at it and think, well, we need another 27 new guys on the roster. And you're able to look at it and say, well, really, we need a couple guys here. We need a few arms here. And it, it's not as far away as we might think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as far away as most people think. I, I look at when I look at specifically the arms last year, I mean, there was just, you know, there were some young pieces that were asked a lot of, you know, and so you don't want to throw those experiences away. Like those are great things to build off of. And so now coming into this year, you might feel like, Hey, this team has got a little bit of experience um, versus maybe a team, you know, that didn't, but you know, as far as how far away for state is and all that, it's just, it's hard to say um, a lot can change in a, in a short amount of time. And, you know, I know this like for state's very, still very well respected um, specifically in the recruiting trail. Um, people are taking our calls and they want to be part of it. And so, you know, for us, you know, we just got to make sure we're getting the right guys in here and, and coach them up and, and kind of turn them loose. All right, coach, got to give us a, you just got to give us the right answer, the correct answer. You're watching last night. Who were you pulling for silently, LSU or Florida? I don't, I don't pull for neither one of them. <laughs> you passed um, the test, but, Yeah, I mean. You passed the test. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't pull for either one of those guys, let's be honest with you, but um yeah, obviously the one school, you know, yeah, so yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Hey, you've been at Dallas Baptist the last few years, and uh, to me, and I used to uh, announce uh, the baseball games for several years with Lulu, 
and and Dallas Baptist has been on the radar for a number of years, more than on the radar. I mean, had a lot of a lot of success. And I'm just curious because I think the average FSU fan, they see the name, they don't really know much about it. Give us a and I know this is your your former place now, but tell us a little bit about Dallas Baptist mm-hmm. and and why it's so successful at, at, at collegiate baseball. Yeah, I mean, you got a head coach that's been there for a while, Dan Heather. Um, he's you know, a really good baseball coach. And, you know, anytime a job's open in the country, it doesn't matter how big or small, he's, his name's always going to be in the mix. And, um, you know, I think it starts with him. And, you know, they've, they've had some good teams. They've had some good players. I think um, just completed their ninth straight regional um, tournament appearance and, you know, have been a two super regional, was in a super regional in 21. Um, and then, you know, if you take the last eight years, um and combine them, you know, DBU's top 15 in the country and the amount of guys drafted out of there. So it's a it's a pro hot hotbed. Um, and then they've won 40 games um, every year outside of one. Nine, and in the last nine years, they've done it every year but once. They've won 40 games. So it's a, it's a program that wins and, and is very successful. Well, and that ties into, and you know what the standard is at Florida State because 11 somehow, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they won 40-plus at FSU for 40 straight years. And and unfortunately, yep. the regional streak yep. at the end of this year. But, but you know, new streaks can be started. And uh, I guess from where you sit, though, I mean, you'd rather have a bar set that high so you guys can go shoot for it and, and try to exceed it. Yeah, I mean, I think that bar is why we're all here. You know, that's why we're all here. And you know, that you want to be in a place that has expectations. And I don't think you need to hide or run from that. I think it's great. You need to embrace it and just know, like, you know, things aren't going well, like people expect them to be better. And I think, you know, for all of us here, like on the inside, like, you know, probably nobody's any harder on us than ourselves. So, um, yeah, you know, I know the standard here is, you know, Omaha is kind of the standard. And then, you know, winning a national championship is something that this program has been chasing for a while. And that's kind of the goal. So, um, yeah, we, we embrace those expectations and look forward to them. Micah, you mentioned uh, when talking with your dad, you mentioned your excitement of your mom. Uh, grandmothers kind of like having those grandbabies around. Have you have you found that out yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting. Like, we haven't moved here yet. Like, we're still trying to get our house sold in Dallas, and we're still looking at places here. But, you know, when we get here, I guess the question has been, you know, is, is she just going to show up, or we're trying to figure out how that how that dynamic works. But, you know, we can't be more thrilled to, to have the boys, you know, closer to both sets of grandparents. Julie's parents, you know, are down in Palm Harbor, and, and we're excited to get the boys back to, you know, close to both of them. And, you know, honestly, like, they've waited their turn, and we get back once a year, whatever, that, that you know, they kind of deserve to make up for lost time, and we're excited to do that. Well, the Florida State community and Tallahassee community are excited to have you back, and uh, I know Link's excited, too. We wish you the best of luck, and thank you uh, for uh, a few minutes on our show today. Tom and Keith, I appreciate you guys for your time and look forward to seeing you at the ballpark soon. Thank you, Coach. All righty, that is Coach Mike Posey. We'll take Thank a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on front row Knowles and uh, Keith, let's continue this conversation on baseball. I want to go back to something you touched on in the in the very first segment, and uh, we appreciate Coach Posey for joining us in that last segment. 
you mentioned the the SEC spreading the wealth around, and and that is a product. There, there's no doubt that this is a product of the revenue disparity that continues to compound year after year when you look at the SEC distributions compared to the ACC. It, it wasn't that long ago that Florida State and, and Dick Hauser Stadium were perennially hosting regionals, and the stadium was one of the better ones out there. But but frankly, now that's just not the case. And 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 where that really has shown up, it, I, I don't know that, that the revenue disparity is affecting Florida State greatly in the sport of football, but it starts to show up in other sports, and baseball is front and center where the SEC is really reaping the rewards. You know, the, the, the correlation between your home stadium and your facilities and what that means in terms of attracting players, um, you know, the constant battle that college uh, has had against uh, kids that are coming out of high school and signing directly uh, professionally, you know, all that goes into the mix. All that's part of the baseball side of it. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that Coach Jarrett and the rest of them are up against, everybody's got it, is the limitation on scholarships and the partial scholarships and those types of things. Those, and there's been some teams, and we've had others on the show talking about how, you know, teams like Vanderbilt uh, and others can do some um, – I won't say illegal, but certainly they take advantage of opportunities that they have on the academic side to get more money into the to the baseball programs that Florida State doesn't have access to. All that's part of the picture, no pun intended. Uh, I think some things are being done. I think in the uh, going forward, you know, baseball now has the the third paid coach that's available, uh, and I think Florida State's committed to making sure that Hauser gets back to a position uh, where it is a show place. Um, I don't know exactly what that'll look like. That's for uh, A.D. Alford and those uh, with a pay grade above mine to figure out. But it is time to do some things and to make some movement. And I, for one, think that Link is a, is a perfect person to do it. And, you know, coaches he's bringing on, uh, specifically Coach Posey, I'll help him get there. That's certainly the wish. No question. As we're recording, I haven't seen the final Learfield Directors Cup standings, but Florida State was 17th with just one sport left to be computed, and that was baseball. And obviously, FSU wasn't in the postseason, so they didn't move up. I'm not sure if they got passed, but basically another top 20 year in the Directors Cup. And when Florida State was really humming, there's been a couple years in the top five. Uh, probably if you average the last 15 years or so, I don't know, I'm just going to hazard a guess that FSU would rank about 12th overall, 12th or 13th, just looking at where they've finished. So uh, another another really good year, but Florida State isn't striving to be really good. Florida State is striving to be great, and that's why this conversation continues to, I mean, it's not going to go away until that revenue issue is, is solved. That and, you know, the continual, you know, you look at your, the proverbial big three on the men's side in football, basketball, and baseball, and, you know, two of the three not performing at the level you would want or expect them to, uh, that'll go a long ways once they get back on their footing uh, to helping that as well. I will say, though, and you know this, Keith, as well as anybody, because your blood, sweat, and tears are all part of the program and the history. There's something about doing less with more that has defined Florida State over the years. Now, the, the problem we're discussing now is it can't be that much less. It can be a little less, <laughs> and then you have that chip on your shoulder, but it can't be insurmountable. 
Well, exactly. In other words, if you're recruiting a defensive back that's got a good head for football and is a student of the game and is not going to quit and has a big heart, uh, but they're 5'10", 175, and they run a 4'9", you're still going to have some issues when you line up on Saturday. <laughs> Keith, we mentioned to Bob that uh, Florida State is hoping to get some good news from a lot of the kids that have been in lately. I, I'm curious, back in uh, 1976, was it, as we go into Fourth of July week, that seems like a, a key year to bring out in our country's history. What was the sign ceremony like when Keith Jones at Wildwood, Florida, announced that he was going to come to Florida State? Announced to who? <laughs> we didn't have ESPN. Sumter County had a weekly newspaper. Uh, Orlando couldn't, uh, Orlando Sentinel couldn't travel that far. Uh, I, I sat down with mom and dad and said, I think we ought to do this. And mom said, I agree. And dad didn't say anything. So that's how that went. <laughs> Did you at least make the Orlando Sentinel? <laughs> I think Bookholder had some uh, survey or summary of uh, everything that was going on. You got to remember, I'm competing against at that time, Chris Collinsworth, uh, folks of that stature. So, I mean, I was I was the little country boy from Wildwood. I didn't get all that attention, hopefully. Well, whatever happened to that Collinsworth guy anyway? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think he got out of football. All right, Keith. Hey, uh, happy fourth to you, although we'll uh, we'll record next week's show before the holiday. But uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in, as always. Until next week, he's Keith. I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.